We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith podcast. It's the podcast nobody wanted to record or listen to. But, but here we are, Alex Hurst, Simon Campbell, Adam Widrington with very special guest, uh, the Times' Northern Sports Correspondent, George Colgan joins us. George, how are you on this, this day? Uh, very sad. Yeah, very sad. Didn't want this day to come either. Um, feels like it's been pushing that way, certainly over the last few days, and, and sort of picked up speed, picked up speed over the last, last few days. But... Um, yeah, as you say, didn't want this day to come, but it's here and got to get on with it. But um, the club have lost a, a truly great manager, someone who's um, who's brought into the city and the region and the club and what it stands for and what it meant, and who came here all that time ago, thinking about Newcastle as a big club. And the thing that we all feared, I think, is that uh, that we all feared might happen has happened. They haven't behave like a big club and so with great reluctance we're going to get right into it today with George and with Cyan Adam um, the lads are obviously gutted even though I think everyone kind of knew this was 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 coming if, if we're honest with ourselves be interested to know what you people listening feel please give us a tweet at TFNUFC to, to let us know what you think George my first question to you is you tweeted uh, just before coming down that Rafa didn't know that this statement was coming today and that it seems like we haven't moved on in that respect from Chris Hooten, from Steve McLaren, from Kevin Keegan, and the list is endless about, about people being treated with contempt by Newcastle United. It's Jonas Gutierrez, Ryan Taylor, people generally, good people. He joins an esteemed list. You know, what, what's your understanding of that situation? How did he find out? So, um, well, so, I mean, trust has sort of eroded and... You know, relationships have degenerated to such an extent that it was communication by email, basically. And um, so that's been the case for, for a while now. And, the, you know, there's been an exchange and, you know, the, the, the upshot of which is that there was no point holding further talks, so on and so forth. They, uh, my understanding is that they, they emailed him uh, this morning basically saying, Okay, so we're going to look for a new manager now, and then two minutes later, the statement came out. So he wasn't given. So he was told that they were going to start looking for another manager, but he wasn't told that a statement was was coming. But I can't say I'm particularly surprised by that. But um, but yeah, a little insight into the way the clubs run, and um, again, just you know, 
very, very disheartening. It's it's it, it's ridiculously arrogant to be in a, to think you're, you're in a position to email Rafa Benitez, double, no, well, won Champions League, won countless trophies, to then say, all right, sorry mate, we're just gonna we're just gonna find somebody else. I appreciate that. Obviously, it's a lot more complex than that. But but imagine being being the person who thinks this is definitely the right course of action to take. It's 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 absolutely it it's crazy. It boggles the mind and. As a fan, I absolutely, I'm, I'm livid. I'm livid with what's happened. And it's easy, you know, I was saying to you, George, you know, it's, 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 it's and, and what you've just said there, Alex, about, you know, we all sort of knew this was probably going to come, but it's, it's so different. Like it, 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 it hits you like a stomach punch when it actually happens and you see the, the black and white word, you see the text written in an official statement. I had to check the handle uh, like uh, from NUFC from that from that tweet coming in, I had to check that handle that it was that it wasn't just like a piss take account, but it was genuine, and that's when it like an absolute sucker punch. It's an awful, awful feeling when it when it even as much as we all just expected this at some point, maybe probably when it happens, Jesus Christ hurts. Simon, there have been people cancelling direct debits, have there not? Uh, um, yeah, my my immediate reaction might have been to to go on my online banking, which is very easy on your phone, by the way. Two clicks and my direct debit to Newcastle United Football Club was gone. That's the kind of raw emotion that you feel. Like I say, Adam, we've kind of known the writing was on the wall for a while. Um, the trust thing that's been going on for years, as you say, George, no one's really surprised it's come to this. I mean, in what world was he ever going to agree to continue to work with these people? Um, the weird thing is, Kevin Keegan said it. Kevin Keegan said, you cannot work with these people. And... Uh, Rafa had a go for three years. He, he, he tried over three years. He tried to, to work with these people and, and quite clearly has come to the same conclusion, but fair play for trying. So yes, my immediate um, knee-jerk reaction was to cancel my direct debit. Sad thing is that because I'm on the 10-year plan, I've already paid four months of direct debit, so I'm entitled to the first three and a half games of the season, I think, or more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I don't know what my long-term decision is going to be on this. It's really hard to, to gather your thoughts and think about where you're where you going to be on the first day of the season. You don't know who the manager is. You don't know if we're going to have a squad even worthy of Premier League football. Um, you don't know what's going to come out from the Rafa side of this story and how that will make you feel about the club and, and, and what you want to do. But I thought cancelling my direct debit gave me the option. I mean, I can still go back and say, oh, change my bank account. I'll come up with something like that. But I would, I would encourage people, I don't know if those of you around the table here agree, I would encourage people to do the same. Even if it just gives them a big long list of cancellations they have to work through and email people and, and you know chase people for the money just to, just to piss them off more than anything else. That was my petty <laughs> interesting one. Then you talk about pissing them off, George. Everyone assumes, or certainly the fans assume, that they'll know that Ashley knows that Charlie knows how popular the manager was and, and what a, a stir this will cause. Are fans right in thinking that? Do you think there's do you think there's part of the regime or the people that run the club who think that everything's going to be okay after this? Honestly, I don't know. I'm certainly not in the inner circle as, as far as people at the top of the club are concerned. And quite frankly, that's a badge of honour to me. So, um, uh, in terms of what they think. I've long since given up trying to second-guess Mike Ashley because I think that's absolutely pointless. I think it's a redundant uh, exercise. And, you know, as for the rest of them, I honestly don't know what they think. I mean, I know that they had the wit to be able to appoint Rafa in the first place, and they have not had the wit to realise what they had when they did appoint him. And 
to me that's the sad, that's the real kind of sadness from today that Newcastle have had in their hands a truly world class manager, somebody who got the club, who bought into it, who built this extraordinary relationship with fans and had it repaid um, back to him in spades, who recognised the club for what it could be and should be, and yet the people at the top of the club can't recognise it. Or, you know, it's just, they're just wired in a different way to the rest of us, and they can't see football in the same way that we do. So, I mean, God knows what they're thinking now. I mean, yes, they must be expecting a backlash, but I suppose if you look back to the last relegation season or you know, even the one before, things didn't turn out too badly for them. There is that sort of sense that Newcastle fans will turn up, come what may, because history shows us that tends to be what happens. It also tends to show us that protests will die out. So is that part of their thinking? The honest answer to that is I don't know. And, and, but it is this thing that it's not, it's not just a, a football manager. It's not just a very good football manager with pedigree, but it, it's, it's everything else that came with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a person, the kind of person he was, the kind of how much he cared about community and charity, and he, he just... He just, he basically just, he gave a shit. And like you say, he got yeah. the club, he got the city. He was more, he was, he was like a kind of patron of the city. Like he, yeah. he, it's what he represented and even beyond the kind of hope of what he can achieve as a, as a football manager and what, what the club might be able to do. But it was what he kind of meant to people who lived up here as, 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 as a non-native who, who came up here and, and had the same effect in a completely different city, a very similar city. And he came up here and what, and what he gave us you hire anybody else, even if you get somebody who is as good a manager as him, you don't get the rest of the stuff. And, and that's, you know, that's where, that's where somebody like Mike Ashley genuinely, genuinely will absolutely be oblivious to and really, really won't give a shit um, about that. But then you're not, just, you're not just allowing Rafa Benitez to walk away. The, the backroom staff who have kept our, a very, very thin squad capable of competing... You think a couple of years back when we had how many injuries did we used to have? Like you know, Pardew having to rush back Rolanda Aaron's because we didn't have enough, and he got another hamstring and Jack, you know that that kind of thing didn't happen because Rafa Benitez, his back backroom staff had had pedigree themselves, fitness, conditioning, the, dr- the the drilling. It was they were just they're world class, they're talented, and y- again you don't get that back if you just hire in anybody regular. So. It, we're losing so much more than just just a manager, um, it, and they're going to find out. <laughs> We're all going to find out how what the impact of that's going to be. It's very sad to hear you talk about Rafa in the past tense. It's, it's kind of hitting home now, and it's uh, it's a tough one. And, and the, the coming days and weeks won't be pleasant on social media. There, you know, there's there's all sorts of questions for the club to answer. The takeover rumbles on, but. George, I want to go back to the end of last season, and, and Adam, you were there. I don't know whether you were there as well, George. I think you were actually, because um, he did a live show with us the night before the, the, the sunny day at Fulham. And it's it's almost every summer, isn't it? And it, I speak to some people who think that they do this on purpose. They think that we, you know, look at Chelsea. Look at Chelsea three 0 beautiful sunshine at St James's, and, and somehow within a matter of weeks, it's all dissipated. It's, it's obviously much much worse this time, but. How, how have we got from this point? Rafa Benitez was making positive noises in press conferences at the end of last season. So, where, where for your understanding, if, if you do have an understanding, where has it fallen down? What do you th- why do you think Rafa Benitez has left Newcastle United? Right. So, 
I think the overall trend, if you look at the overall trend of the past three years, it's been about fraying trust. I mean, I think that and, and fraying relationships. Some of those relationships, like with Ashley, have just never really been there in the first place. Or when there's been those moments when they've kind of come together, nothing else has then happened. There's been no kind of follow-up to that. So I think the overall trend has been, over, has been, has been about fraying relationships. And, of course, what I'm talking about there is what's happened in the transfer windows in particular, what he thinks are broken promises, the club failure to act, blah, 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 blah. So as time's gone on, for him to stay, the club had to show that they were prepared to rebuild that trust or that they were, that, you know, that that was part of their, that that was kind of part of their thinking and that part of their makeup. He needed to see evidence that they were either going to change or that they were going to buy into stuff that he wanted. Talks about a contract have gone on for a long time. The club will say that they've tried... For, you know, for 18 months to try to, to get him to sign a deal, which on the one hand is accurate, on the other hand doesn't reflect the fact that the f when they made that sort of initial contact, it was precisely at the moment that he was fretting about signing new players and players not coming in. And he could not understand, he could not understand the timing. So in fact, something which should have been positive became a negative because why are you talking to me about this now? So that's the backdrop. At the end of the season, I think there was a thought that a one-year contract could suit both parties. So if ideally what Rafa would have liked was a contract that contained get-out clauses if they didn't do what he wanted, that's probably not realistic in terms of what can be put into a legal document. So a one-year contract gives him a way out and it gave the club scope to be able to renegotiate with him if things went well. So I think there was some sort of positivity about that. When the Offer finally came, though. Not only did it not include any of the stuff that I think he probably decided wasn't going to happen anyway, but stuff about training ground and, you know, all that kind of infrastructure stuff. The personal terms weren't right. And for me, that should be the easiest thing to get right when you're talking about Rafa. He's been here for three years. He already gets paid a shitload of money. Let's accept that. But he's effectively... We've had him on loan from the Champions League. And if you've got that, you have to pay a premium for it. He's worked his nuts off for three years. I think, I think, I think Newcastle have seen the best of him in terms of the effort he's given and what he's achieved with the tools at his disposal. disposal. They have not seen the most of him because he's a, he's a trophy-winning manager and obviously that's not happened. But if he's going to be bobbing along in the bottom half of the Premier League, then he deserves a pay rise for what he's done so far. Anyway, they didn't even get that right. So the bigger picture is he should be made to feel special, that the club are doing everything to give him what he thinks he needs about money, transfers, budget, blah, 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 infrastructure, all that. And they haven't ticked any of those boxes effectively. And those talks have just dragged on and dragged on and dragged on. The other complication, which isn't the club's direct fault is the takeover stuff. So that has definitely complicated matters. He asked for clarity. He never got clarity. I don't think people knew what clarity was in those you know, I don't think the people physically in the building at the football club are those people who were handling takeover negotiations. And so it's been very difficult for them to give him a running commentary. Um, my understanding is that he doesn't think it's going to happen but I don't necessarily think that's a position of authority from Rafa. But he's just got sick of it. And in the same way that all of us have got sick of it over over, over months and, and years. So 
that's a very waffly answer. So, I mean, but the lot, you know, the long-term thing is frayed trust, and the more sh the shorter-term thing is that they just they just haven't been able to rebuild. George, can I ask a question? You know, in, in terms of part of that kind of frayed trust that you just mentioned there, it was always my understanding that he agreed to to, to stay um, when we got relegated, on the proviso that he would have, you know, transfer autonomy. Um, when I spoke to him and had the pleasure of meeting him, he seemed to intimate that as well, but then seemed to intimate that actually that wasn't the case at all. Um, so, I, I mean, when you, when you kind of look at, you know, what can be written into a document, what, into a contract, what can't be, I guess some things can be, are, are sort of too intangible, too, yeah, too, yeah. too vague. Um, maybe the only thing that you could put in is maybe exact figures, but then figures, it was never, that was never the... That was never the, the sort of like the, the, the top of his priority list. It was always about, from what I understood, was how he was able to use that money and being able to go out and get Tammy Abraham on loan, get Willie Caballero on loan, and not have to ask permission and wait around for a month for those deals to just be like snatched away from somebody else. That's exactly it. Those early things were, you know, that was those were sources of of great frustration. That okay, there's a deal here to be done. It's ready to go. Let's do it now. Bang. And of course, those those deals you mentioned didn't happen, and that was a source of strain. We go back to last summer, and Salomon Rondon, you know, the club putting it putting it about sort of after that 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 would have been one of the worst deals in the in the in the club's history in terms of money. I would I would still argue that that would have been one of the best deals in the player of the year under twenty million. Boom. It, I mean, for any other club, that's just no brainer. So that has been the strain. So in the very early days, it was what Rafa wants, what Rafa gets. But that very, very quickly becomes something else when you're actually dealing with the way this club, under this regime, handle things. So, yeah, it's not about just about the budget. It's not just about the wages. It's if it's time to act, let's act and let's do it. And that, you know, that time and time again, that didn't happen. Um, and so that's played a big... You know that's played a big part in in the way it's all. Has there been signings it? like the Matt Sells thing and maybe Jacob? Mer are these kind of signings sometimes that haven't fully come off? Is, do you think that might have influenced um, Ashley's perception of Rafa's ability to to, to to? Again, again, second guessing that I don't know. But if you're going to if you're going to talk about Matt Sells and um, and Jacob Murphy then you have to look at the other ones which have been oh, exactly exactly I'm just trying to I'm trying to get my head around it's just something that's kind of reason and logic I've, I've no doubt they'll use that as a stick to beat him with when, when all this comes to comes out but yeah we, we're just speculating yeah, aren't we yeah yeah but but you yeah, know that autonomy I mean effectively he's had a he's he he's had the ability to say yes or no to incoming transfers he's had less uh, control on, on on outgoings, but that hasn't really been relevant. Um, but that's very different from them doing exactly what what he wanted, or even somewhere nearer what he would have wanted, which I think would have been perfectly acceptable. I think the most interesting thing you've said, George, and by interesting, I probably mean devastating. You know, it's not it's not exciting to talk about these things, but it was the the bit about even the personal terms weren't right because that to me says they didn't really want him to stay. <clears throat> They don't want a manager that where they don't match his ambition, clearly, because it's just going to be more hassle for them if they, if they go through another year of fighting with him when they know fine well they're probably not going to meet his expectations. Um, I mean, the maths of it, it's, it's so easy to work out. If he wants £10 million a year, you give him it. Think of how, many, how much money you'd have to spend. I'd say three years at £10 million, £30 million. 
that's one decent footballer, is Benitez not worth one half-decent footballer in terms of the points and league position? It's, it's a no-brainer mathematically. So for me, if they're not even willing to offer him a bit more money... Yeah, and I think... I think and I don't think it was... I mean, I'm, I, am, I am very biased, but... Um, uh, but I mean, I, I completely agree with that, and I don't think it was. I think, as I say, you've, if you've got Benitez, you make a fuss of you make a fuss of him, and that shouldn't have to come from him in the first place. It should be coming from the club. It's like, all right, so we can't give you what you can't give you everything you want in terms of transfers. You know, we're not in the top half of the Premier League at the moment, but my God, we want you, and my God, we recognise what you've done, and we'll try our best, and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, you know, I think he deserves a pay rise for what he's done at Newcastle, like, in spite of the nonsensical amount of money. It's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, like, think of all the, all, you know, the previous managerial appointments in the, in the Ashley era. In a respect, they were all lucky to get that job. I mean, some a lot luckier than others. Carver, Kinnear, for example. Um, I mean, even the likes of Pardew and McLaren, like, you know... This is the first manager we've had in the Ashley era who we've been lucky to have and, you know, to bring in class and quality to, to, keep you, to, to make you survive means that you're not going to get the yes-men that you've had before. So, that, that, that's crazy. And when, when, you said, when you said that they had the wit to, to, to appoint him, obviously Rafa essentially served himself on a plate. He was like, put an apple in his mouth. He was the suckling pig. just like, come and get us. That's, that's what annoys me about, and there's plenty that annoys me at the minute, but that's what annoys me about some of the commentary that we've had in the past 48 hours from other colleagues of yours, George, you know, in terms of journalists or, or fans, saying that China's mental and it's about money, and I think that is going to be a narrative we might see push now because I'm seeing it more and more. What was more mental than Rafa Benitez going to China was Real Madrid's out-of-work manager coming to a team 19th in the Premier League whose fit left-backs were Musa Sissoko and Jack Callback, who had a nightmare running and who essentially were broken as a football club, who, whose, whose team and whose squad wasn't fit for purpose. It was disunified. There were players who didn't want to be here. And in three seasons, you know, we aren't world beaters now, but he's left a, a squad that is full of capable players, not the best players we've ever seen, but capable players at this level who give us everything. And like you say, Sai, did they ever really want to keep him? Were they willing to make the kind of sacrifices, not even sacrifices, but the kind of promises and the kind of, give him the kind of love and attention he deserves as an employee. And then you look at the rumours last summer, people close to Rafa have, have said on this podcast that they wanted him to take the Spain job when it became available, that, you know, often, you know, Rafa, like Kevin Keegan, the former, like Alan Shearer, waited for phone calls that never came about players, about transfers. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, sorry. The wanted him to take the, the Spain yeah, job. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because what is Newcastle United? Well, that, that, that question was far easier to answer under Rafa Benitez. We've heard from the club three times this summer. One, season tickets are going up. In fact, we didn't hear from them. They put it on the website and fans noticed. Two, your new strip is the most expensive in the Premier League. And three, the manager's gone and we don't have a replacement. So I'm dreading four and five when, when they are eventually announced about who's going to take over and all that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, it, it makes you question yourself a bit as a fan. Like you say, Sai, should you go, should you not go? I think that's a conversation for another day, although lots of fans are talking about that, that right now. My, my feeling is, is one of just, like, loss. I'm not even angry. I know, I know maybe I was shocked when I heard the timing. I'm not even angry. I'm just sad. 
Well, the, the reality of it becomes shocking, doesn't it? I mean, wh whether you're expecting it or not, it, the reality of it is shocking, and it is like a weight in the stomach. I mean, that's how it feels. So it can be both a shock and not a shock at the same time. I mean, and but it's devastating. You said the, the little things, you know, it's not just winning football matches, which is what we're, we're all here for, and I think the club bank on winning a few football matches next season. We've been here before, like you say, George. You know, Alan Pardew's the world's most unpopular manager. He beats Liverpool 3-1 we draw with Arsenal 4-4 and we kind of move on very quickly and that's what I'm not having a go at anyone there and that's mean, that's what football fans are supposed to do we're not supposed to lament or grieve yeah. you're supposed to crack on get behind your team win some games and move up the league table and I think that's what they're, they're hoping and that's what they're gambling on that as many people like you Simon who cancel the direct debit and as many you know, admin staff are going to have to work late or <laughs> whatever to, to chase you up for a payment that's never going to come potentially um, they, they think it'll be okay and they like you say, George, I think they massively underestimate the job that's been done. On the rare occasion that Lee Charlie speaks to the fan base through the media, because he doesn't, he won't even speak to the club's own website. Um, he's always bigged up the players. He's always said he, f he feels like the players have been very marginalised. The players have been called championship players and this and that. And I've always felt that was a little bit snide and that was a little bit to take away from the manager. And whilst at the time it was just a thought, now it seems like reality. That I mean, I'll, ask, I'll put it to you. Do you think that the job he's done? hasn't been appreciated do, do you think that they think well Pardew kept this team up did it you know McLaren probably could have kept us up did it do you feel like they feel they've lost anything here will will the people and again I'm asking you things you can't answer yeah 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 no I know well yeah but the feeling of it I can express that I mean I certainly I think the first time that Newcastle got relegated under Ashley there was there has been a rewriting of history since then that that suggests that that was the easiest thing in the world to come back up again that with the players that were there um, and you know, in terms of that investment, that that was just going to be straightforward, and that it was kind of you know genius on behalf of Ashley's behalf. Whereas, if you actually take yourself back to that point, it was the absolute chaos of the team that was up for sale again, um, and didn't have a manager, and players were leaving, and you know there was just utter carnage at the club. And the 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 football people, Hutton, and the players found a way of building something and rebuilding something, and really. It was that that it was that that got Newcastle up. Part of me thinks that'll be the same opinion about the last time that, well, with the amount of money that Rafa had at his disposable disposal, anybody could have got Newcastle up. Because there is, I mean, and you know, other other fans at different clubs would say the same thing as well. Because until it happens to them, you know, there's very li there's very little sort of empathy with the club's position. Although you know, you look at you know, you look at Sunderland, you look at a load of big clubs that have gone down and see what mess has happened puts puts into perspective kind of what Ruff has done. Aston Villa's net spend on the yeah. season we came yeah, back yeah, up was, yeah, was yeah. higher Borough, than Borough, you know, I've got a huge amount of time for Steve Gibson. I've known him for a long time, but he said when they went down, we will smash the division, and you know, it didn't, didn't work for them. There's no guarantees, and money doesn't offer any guarantee for anything. So I honestly don't know. I mean, I think the sad thing is whether this whether this is what they mean to do or not. It's almost like they viewed Rafa as a guarantee. It's a, he's a guarantee of staying up effectively, but he's not the manager that we say fuck it, let's get rid of our model and let's and let's push on. And that's what they should have done. That's what they should have done. I think you know you talk about what happens next and what supporters do. I've said this before. This past season, I think, is the, was the beginning of a kind of ex existential crisis anyway, because the first season of Rafa, it's championship. Everyone buys into the, to the, to what the task is that season. The season after that, it's staying up. Everyone buys into that. 
and um, you know that gives us the feeling of a club that's going somewhere that has a plan that you know it's all about progress this last season was a big dent to that to, and as far as I'm concerned anyway because it was suddenly it was great we have to do this all over again and that became very clear with what was happening in terms of transfers and things like that um, you know last summer that that was the beginning of the crisis really because um, although trust was you know trust was f- being fitted away anyway that was the moment that Newcastle say right we've just finished 10th all right the league table doesn't lie that m- might have been a bit for you know we could have finished 15th really but we finished 10th now is the moment that we push on and we prove to ourselves, we prove to our fans, and we prove to our manager that we mean business. It smacks of the Vernon and Eaton Nita summer after Pardew finished fifth. <laughs> Just, oh well, well, we finished fifth, we don't have to do much. That probably means we spend less. That, that, that's the mentality. I want to talk a little bit, lads, about some positives and some, some good memories. Um, Sai, you know, your, give, give me your favourite Rafa moment game memory. You've put me on the spot here, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go quickly off topic because I think Norman um, put this perfectly earlier today is that it really hits you when you think you're never going to see the glasses in the, in the pocket moment again like that. That's when it really hits you. So I'll have to think of one of those moments if you can ask me for, for one of the best. Um, the, the, I, the championship season was what it was. Like we didn't really, should never have been there. And we knew it was just a stepping stone season in terms of Rafa. You had to get us up so that we could then crack on. But that day, Barnsley at home, how how good a day was that? You know, just enjoying that team that you know pulled together Dwight Gale, um, and just not really expecting to win the league, and then getting that as well, and watching Rafa with the trophy and all the players, and we're like, bloody hell, we're onto something here. We've got not just a manager that's you know won the league, he's he's got a team. He's already built a team after one year. This is going to be class. Like I think that was the highest point for me, because every transfer window subsequently kind of led us back to where we are now. So at that point. We didn't really have anything to worry about. It was just all positive. So that was probably the highest point for me with Benitez. And I feel sad talking about it, even though it was a happy memory. I'm keen to get uh, thoughts from the other two as well on this, but I'll just interject and, and, and go in a similar vein. I know this is a bit of a, a get-out, but the summer of 2016, yeah. Some, no, seven, after, after going down. 17. After going down. That summer for being a championship football club and the surge in season ticket sales and almost behaving like a normal, real football club. No drama, no takeover, just players, good players being signed by a good manager with a good coach and staff. Fans reacting to that. It was a glorious summer. We hadn't kicked a ball or we hadn't done anything. I remember going to that first game at Fulham on an on a insanely hot night in August. I know it was a Newcastle United-esque letdown with a short-term one in terms of the game. I felt more hope going to that game in the second tier of football than any game I've attended since. And you know, we started Gallagher flags, which is a, which was a reaction to Rafa Benitez, and that's been taken on by war flags. And if you look at look at what Newcastle United was in the game before he came, Bournemouth at home, and look at what it was in that game against the European champions, which in my opinion, because I'm biased, but I think it's fair, we could and should have won that game against Liverpool with the support and the noise from the crowd. And if you just contrast the two, it's almost like it's a super superhuman effort for him to have transformed the football club in that way. And that's what makes me proud to have been, just as a supporter, like you guys here, on, you know, Adam and Sai, um, just to have been part of the crowd that night against Liverpool and to give them such a fucking game, to give, to give the untouchables such a good game and for Salomon Rondon to, to, to 
expose Virgil van Dijk for the first game of the season. It gives you, it gives you some pride as a supporter, and it's not winning trophies, and it's not signing players for tens of millions of pounds, but it was enough for me that, that I, I can get behind the people who run this football club if they're just giving us a bit more next season. Not like you say, George, and Rafa was going to accept it. Maybe not a trophy next season, maybe not a European campaign, maybe not going to Benfica, but just, just a, a, a small natural progression to look at the top ten and the top eight of the Premier League, which isn't some, you know, I used to joke about, I joked about this in the summer, that if, if we didn't sign the manager, as far as I understand it, purely from reading the likes of yourself, George, and, and your colleagues, it was, you know, like you said, a little bit more money, a little bit more control, a little bit more better training facilities in the club. It's just not a relegation battle, which by definition means you're getting some good results as a football club. And I think you, you had that memorable night, George, with them at the, um, the Tyneside Cinema, which was February or March 18, I think. I remember it well. It was actually a few days before we beat Manchester United. Um, and and you, and you've referenced in this podcast, but you also said... You know, enjoy it while he's here. He said it that night, and I, th- I think I think all of us around the table have enjoyed it. The last three seasons, for all the bullshit with takeovers, for all the the fraught summers and the terrible starts, <laughs> yeah, it, it ha- I have enjoyed supporting this football club in the last three years, and that that isn't what I had in the preceding seven or whatever. Take away the the fifth season, which was a good season, and that's that's where I feel proud. We've experienced what we've experienced, and and, and a lot of football clubs, like you say, and a lot of the fans. Yes, they can't empathise with us, but I don't also think they'll have what we had in the last three seasons and, and can't understand that it wasn't about winning trophies and finishing 13th and finishing 10th, who cares? It's, it's about more than that. So that's, uh, there isn't one game I can put my finger on, even though there were many highlights. It was just that kind of feeling, but to go back to Summer 16, of just pride in what we were doing and how... This is where I think Michani... I've, I've no time from, you know, but surely he, he could recognise that his job that summer was... Was easier. It's surely life around the football club. Surely everyone was was enjoying coming to work, and, and things were better compared to going into work tomorrow and dealing with this shit show. And fans, fans have been at the ground tonight. There's calls for fans to be at the ground on Friday night. Civil protest and rest. How have how have they managed to fuck this up so spectacularly? Is is probably a question that we'll never get the answer to. Probably. Same question, you Adam. Same question, Adam. Um, obviously, from a personal uh, the personal experience I had with him. Um, it was days before a, a crucial sort of like home game against his former club Liverpool. It was the one-one, you know, of, uh, when Matip cleared it off our solution. Um, but f- on, on the Thursday before that that game, I, has, I got you know I got the pleasure of spending ninety minutes with him and talking tactics and just getting to know how how absolutely obsessed he is with football and like the, the cliched we had salt and pepper shakers on the table and. And, and there's there's a big vinegar bottle. That's Peter Crouch in the 2005 Champions League final, right? We're defending a, we're defending a corner, Adam. Where do you put him? Where do you put Carragher? Where do you put Erbi? I'm just like I don't know, Raf. I'm just like I'm really desperate to not get it wrong because I want to impress Rafa. Just like the fact that he gave me absolutely nobody, and me, and me brother and all my dad, that that time, like nine, 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 ninety minutes, days before a huge game against his former club, like that. I, I just I just thought to myself if he gives me that time. Think what he'll do to, to young players at this club, what he'll do to the players, put an arm around their shoulder. He, he gives a shit about people and how he wants people to have a good time and he absolutely loves the football crowd. He loves talking about it. Um, but in terms of like objectively looking at his, his talent, 
I'd probably look no further than that Everton game when we're 2-0 down at half-time and the way, the way he, he, he manoeuvred, he changed this tactical flexibility. We talk about all these yes-men before and they're not just yes-men in terms of like, you know, they're so inferior to his talent. They're so one-dimensional in their tactical flexibility. The fact that Rafa Benitez can, can turn what looked like an absolutely certain defeat, 2-0 down, we missed a penalty and we won the bloody game 3-2, and it was fucking spectacular, and I will never, ever forget. And, and that's what he brings, and that's what we're going to lose next season. We, we will have nobody to drag us out of the fire. We have no, we'll, don't, I don't care who they bring in. We don't get that back. He's, he's, he's so talented. He's the best. You know, we, we, in my lifetime, you know, I've, got, I've had Keegan, I've had Robson, and I've had, um, and I've had Rafa Benitez to kind of look up to, and I think, like, you know... You look at Keegan, he's like the great motivator. You had Bobby, who was just, just so classy and just an absolute gent. And then you've got Rafa Benitez, who I think, in terms of, he was just a, he's a master tech t- tactician. He's a master of his craft. He is at the, he is at the height of his, of, his, of his industry. He is world class without hyperbole. That is who he is. He's a football man. Love he, just, he just loves football and all that things that he, he wants when he, he's spending 50, uh, 90 minutes with you and he, when he's talking to all these people, he's just talking about football and he, so he, wants, he wants you to understand so football accessible. in the way he does and it must, it must have grained on him so much for three years trying to explain football to these people that he's working for and feeling like he's talking to a brick wall because they're not really interested in football. Yeah. Well, then they talk a different language. I mean, that is the thing. It's like you're com- trying to communicate on different planes of existence. And I think, I think that's the only way, that's the best way of trying to describe this regime is that they talk a different language to absolutely everybody else. They can't be the ones that are right because the evidence suggests otherwise. So easy to talk to. It's just, it is literally like talking to a mate down the pub about football, except your mate happens to have won the Champions League. It's literally what it's like. That, the podcast thing uh, with my paper that you mentioned was... Fabulous, and that was a proper thrill, and to be able to do that and share a stage with him. The thing about it was that afterwards he waited and waited and signed absolutely everybody's autograph. He signed, he shook everyone's hand at a time when he had RSI in his right hand, but he still did it. And um, you know that's kind of a measure of the measure of the fella. There was a every press conference felt like I've got a, I've just got a, I've just got to try and soak up these stories. And you know he'd always do bits off the record where he would talk about what happened at Napoli or whatever. And it was kind of, you know, hilarious and brilliant and all that sort of stuff. Um, in Spain, just this year, when they were there for a pre-season thing again, a few of us went and we tried to talk to him about interests off the pitch. And that ended up with me being in a headlock. He was trying to show me his judo moves and stuff like that. <laughs> and he just has that He just has that sort of, you know, he's very different to, to, to Bobby and stuff like that. But... He's not sort of as emotional, but he has that same passion. It's just expressed in a different way. I mean, and, you know, you, you talk about you talk about those moments when he walks off the pitch and he's got Jamal Lascelles under his arm and it's like, oh, for God's sake, Rafa, just give him a hug. And But at the same time, his emotion is coming out by saying, look, you know, when you gave away the throw-in in the 30th minute, what you should have done is this and all that. And it's just like this man who wants to be here and all that. And, I mean, the the the... the Esoteric, my, the, the way I feel about those sort of happy, positive moments is more of a general thing. It's those moments that he gave the club when Newcastle felt alive, when it felt like a big club again, when the noise was extraordinary, when you had that sort of feeling that, shit, anything's possible. And he was the person that sparked those 
that those feelings um you know you can look back to, to 2016 on the day that newcastle get relegated and the noise you know it's got i'm getting a shivers up up, up my spine sort of thinking about that and this sense of what newcastle could be and you know it turned out to be like the carlsberg rele relegation to actually go down with momentum because he was because he was newcastle's manager and you know beating man city the liverpool game towards the end of the season the noise and that feeling of we are not too far away from being the club that we all think it can be okay in terms of investment miles and miles away but it's got two things right it's got the manager right and of course it's got the fans right um it doesn't need much more than that it doesn't need many more bits of that equation for this to be a very special football club um and one that's actually capable of achieving things and i think that's that's the biggest positive thing of course it's also the biggest negative thing because it's been it's been taken away and the bit that was missing is is having coherence at the top and that's just never that's just never been there but i think the the most beautiful thing and the most difficult thing is that he gave newcastle hope and he gave newcastle he reminded newcastle well said, and, and I have to say, just, 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 just in case listeners don't know, when Adam, Adam talks about meeting Rafa Benitez, that was a, a night that we put on as True Faith back in 2017, and, and George very kindly came along and spoke, and so did other local journalists free of charge to raise, to raise, well, raise £10,000 for the food bank in the end, and, and Rafa Benitez, a club employee, came along, and I thought the worst, you know, we weren't expecting it. And it turns out that she came along, and, and Rafa wanted it actively wanted to to give us you know prizes beyond our wildest dreams for the raffle, which which on its own raised over like two thousand pounds. And that was, you know, we were just a load of well fans with the likes of yourself, George, and Jonas talking about how shit things were basically beating Newcastle United. And he still he still managed to sp sprinkle that little bit of magic on the night by you know Adam just you won the auction I think, and that's how we met actually. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. It was the night I met you. It was the. It was the night that I ultimately meant I met Rafa. But he has changed. The point is, no life. one thinks any less of Rafa Benitez if he doesn't, you know, decide to transform that event, transform your life. You know, other fans got to meet him. Other fans got ridiculous training ground visits and, and stuff like that. All, all because of him. And people remember those things for the rest of their lives. And you know, Steve McLaren might have done that. I don't know, or John Carver, Alan Pardew, but. But I think there are lots of people around the city who, who have Rafa Benitez stories. There are lots of people who can have been able to see, you know, whether it's your children attend an event that he turns up at and gives the awards to in the pouring rain or, you know, all, all sorts of those things, or whether it's the food bank and the work he's done with them, or whether it's war flags and the backing that he gave them publicly. So, like, little things like that matter to people, and it's not just about, you know, the tactical switch about Evan, which it is about, or, or, or beating Man City. It's those other little things that I, I might be wrong, but I just don't think that we'll see in the in the near future with Newcastle United, and it's very sad. But I'll re I'll re also reverse that a little bit. I think that from this point forward, you know, if you think about Benitez in this country, obviously he he still lives in Liverpool. His family live in Liverpool. That's where they're based. And you think about that and the connection that he had there. I think moving forward, when he talks about. The connections he, he has, he'll talk about Scousers and he'll talk about Geordies. And so I think Newcastle gave something very important to him as well. Um, I'm not saying that when he arrived here he was bruised or all that, because I don't know that for a fact. But he, you know, he's had a difficult experience at, at Real Madrid. He took a big 
gamble to 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 come here. But my God, he 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 got. He, he, I mean, it was the response he's had must have been beyond his wildest dreams to be sort of accepted and welcomed and just loved and the way the way he has been. I know that I know that that's incredibly incredibly special to him and it is what kept him here. Um, so you know, it's worked out. It's worked out for it's worked out kind of beautifully for him as well. It's been a that's, that the relationship has been a lovely story. Um, I'm sure he'll, you know, he'll always be disappointed that it wasn't wasn't quite what it could have been. But um, I don't think anybody holds him holds him responsible for that. I think I would like to say, like, if there's one positive to come out of this, is that hopefully Rafa can be happy and he can, you know, seek ambition in a place that'll, you know, match match his, and he doesn't have to go through this shit anymore. We were, you know, he's he's, he's too good. He's too good to have to deal with people like Mike Ashley. We're too good to deal with people like Mike Ashley, but we're kind of stuck with it. At least he has that choice, and I hope he's really happy. I hope he has a, a he goes on and has a class career. It'd be horrible, like seeing an ex-girlfriend who dumped you. Who you, you know, <laughs> but I just yeah, that's the only positive I can take out of this situation. That he's not here anymore. That somebody that I admire greatly doesn't have to go through this fucking shit. It's uh, that, that, that was the end of the positive part of the. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to talk about the real negative part now, and that's the the, the immediate future of Newcastle United. Something which, would, I mean, I, I doubt the people at the football club know what it holds. Already, the rumor mill has started on names, managers, pre-season training. I think next Wednesday, first team squad are back. There was not involved in the nationals, which well, there are many. Um, China. What three weeks away? Two weeks away? You know, we know someone who's booked to go. Um, <laughs> how do those people feel? It, it's a real tough one. Why anyone would purchase a season ticket now at Newcastle United would be beyond me. If you don't already have one, it's just an absolute horror horror show. And then George, I have to ask you about this. We we'll have the takeover as well, the supposed alleged takeover, which is either definitely happening or the work of Keith Bishop, depending on who you listen to. You know, it's, I'm sure it's a very hard one to comment on. Um, where do the club go from here on, on that? And is it is it at all realistic? So, um, yeah, that's good. Good question. I'm trying to think what I can what I can sort of say. I mean, I've been very cynical about it. From uh, well, I think cynicism is my default situation. Um, there are people still knocking about. I know that there were kind of three parties at least. One of them is very well known because they've made public statements, the BZG group. Um, you know, and I'm not saying anything that I've not sort of said, said in public. I mean, the response to that from people who I know, I mean, so basically I've been writing about Newcastle takeover for 10 years and it's not happened. So, but I still know a lot of those people from the, when they tried to sell the club the first time and people in the city and stuff like that. There was a lot of doubt expressed about their credentials, to put it that way. And that's never really gone away. I think the longer that it's gone on, it has become established a bit more that there's money there, but how much and the origins of it and the, the uh, you know, how serious they are is still, is still up for grabs, really, I think. Of, I, know, I know one other group and I know who they are but, and I speak to them, but... I'm not allowed to talk about who they are because that would violate the terms of um, whatever agreements they've got. So that's fine. I'm able to sort of, and they also claim to be 
um, have made have made kind of good progress. But by good progress, what does that actually mean? Well, there's no exclusivity agreement that has been reached with any one group. I don't think that's going to happen now because I, I think Ashley wants to talk to as many people as possible in the hope of driving the price up or getting a good price. I think the price is around 350, maybe slightly less. Um, money has been moved around. Accounts are being checked, all that sort of stuff. Some of those things have happened. Some of those data room things have happened or happening. But here we still are, and it's now, you know, it's now uh, the end of June, and the window is closing. I mean, the window for a new owner to come in and actually be able to do anything uh, is closing, and that's that is the concern. So, partially, these things just take a lot of t- take take time. Um, but yeah, my the the fear I have is that for all the talk of sort of incremental progress being made, yeah, 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 we're close. Yeah, 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 we're close. Yeah, 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 we're close. Well, it still hasn't been done. So I, I talked to. I mean, my my opinion on that changes kind of daily. Really, that um, I can have a conversation and it feels very positive. But yeah, here we are. Here we are with Rafa leaving and Rafa not believing anything's going to happen. And um, you know, so I can't really offer much in the way of stuff that's not been said before or much in the way of positivity. But equally, you know, these are conversations that are being held between between the bidders and Justin Barnes and Ashley himself. And, there is, there is sense, you know, there is, there is this sense that things are progressing and things have progressed further than they have in the past. But and, 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 and so, like, the group that I know about, there's substantive people involved in that and... The people they're being advised by and who were doing their sort of negotiations are substantive people, and that's fact. But just to repeat, it's not fact that they've taken over the club and that it hasn't got to the stage of, of, of that. So, you know, once, once the mechanism starts rolling, that's fine, but it, it then does still take days and weeks to get something finalised so it's not like something will be announced and it's finished, it'll be something that something could be announced and then they still have to go through you know, they still have to go through administrative stuff so it's the time that's really the time has really been the concern with Rafa in some ways Talking of days and weeks, currently there's 48 days until Arsenal at home and there is 45 days until the transfer window slams shut and it will slam shut 45 days, we haven't got a manager, we've just begun to look for a new manager. That's it, that's all I've got. <laughs> I mean, part of it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, it is really concerning. And, um, you know, it throws, the, the, the problem is at this exact moment is that there are no answers, actually. And um, I'm not sure how much things clearer are at the top of the club. I don't know. Hopefully, they've got some sort of hope, hopefully they've got some sort of plan. I mean, the, 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 the word the word is that there's no shortlist, and they haven't given Rafa's replacement any kind of thought up to this point. I mean, partially they have to say that um, because they have to make it seem like they were trying trying their best to get him. But there hasn't been any, you know, in those journalistic circles, there haven't been sort of whispers about figures going out places so I'm sort of minded to minded to kind of believe that um, I also think there was a sort of arrogance on their behalf that Rafa will be boxed into a corner and because he wanted to stay in the Premier League and because he wanted to stay in Liverpool uh, close to his family that that would be enough it reeks of that doesn't it, it reeks of they just thought they'd get away with it again and Rafa's finally called their bluff yeah, and they, they weren't and expecting they, it
and then it could have been a great negotiating ploy. But that, that was what I was saying before. It was just like the arrogance that it's, that it's, that it's the club that have, cut the, that have cut the ties on this rather than... Like, they need to have been, like, trying to impress Rafa to stay, but it's, it's the arrogance of it being complete role reverse. No, we, said, we said our last bit on this, kind of. It's, it's, like, it's his fault. It is, like, it's like, yeah. It's the shortness and, of the statement. I know they can't communicate with their fans. It, it's just the, the fact that they, were, they didn't go into detail for, for no reason. The fact that it's, a, it's, a, it's hubristic and it's, like, it's, it's a very much them and us. It's... It's almost like that statement wasn't really aimed at anybody, apart from like information done, we're away. No apologies, no you know, no bold statements about getting the next appointment right, about the future being bright. It's, it's his fault, not ours. It's, there's no, it's like they don't care what people think. Yeah, no warmth, yeah. It's, that's a better way of putting it. I think we're coming to the end of the podcast, lads. Uh, we've done nearly an hour. We've taken George away from us home for long enough and a... A lovely Monday night. Um, Nothing for me there. <laughs> no, this is better. Final, final word, George, to you. Final question would be: What will what will Rafa's legacy be at Newcastle United? Do you think? Well, I think I think what I said really that he's he reminded us all about what a great club Newcastle are. I mean, and I and I know that is sort of trite in lots of ways, but Newcastle needed it when he came in because we'd been told time and time again by managers by you know about how Newcastle couldn't compete with Southampton. I mean, funnily enough, Rafa would say similar things, but in, that would be in terms of kind of finances. But, you know, we'd been made to think of Newcastle being a small club, not being able to compete, not caring about cups, not that that's got any better, um, but, um, you know, that about how little Newcastle were. And he came in and talked about size and stature, and he actually talked about Newcastle in a very old-fashioned way, which was that sort of almost Keegan-esque, Bobby-esque, this is a great club. It's, it's, it's romantic. Yes, okay. It's, that's exactly it. It's romantic. And football had long since stopped being a romantic exercise here, hasn't it? It had become very cold and very clinical. and clinical and remote and competing pound for pound to be the best we can be and cups not a priority and all that sort of stuff. It had stopped being about sport, you know, that ethos of sporting glory about your club representing you about it representing your city where you're from all those things and he reminded us of that and he reminded us of what a powerful thing football could be and what what Newcastle could be again the disappointment is that he leaves not being a, not thinking about Newcastle in the way that he did when he arrived you know he, he thought of Newcastle as a big club and they've behaved like a small club and that is you know, that's also part. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, George, and, and you as well, Adam and Sai. We'll be podcasting and releasing content about this, no doubt, across the summer. Uh, we have our Patreon platform where we're doing podcasts about two or three a day on this thing. We are talking about this a lot more. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, the dream is that the takeover happens and we can report some good news for once at Newcastle United. But otherwise, strap yourselves in. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.